<laughs> My dog just retched. Um, I wish we actually we do have that. I'm gonna use it. <laughs> okay, you're right, bud. All right, good. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 007, the James... Wow! Oh my god! This is going to work on so many levels, how did we not figure this out? (laughs) We are not smart. (laughs) And this will all make sense, dear dear listener, in just a second. But welcome to episode 007, the Mastication Nation, the podcast that brings you all that is wonderful about food, mostly, without that weird burning sensation. Will, how are you? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the greatest way to introduce the uh, the episode is us having the simultaneous realization about what's about to happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing I'm doing great. Um, it's uh, I apologize, listeners, that it's been a little longer. I say that every week. Um, it, it's tough to have a podcast when you have a real life outside of uh, outside of the d- digital world. It is, and it, uh, my September's been crazy. I've done 15 speaking gigs in many cities in many countries, which I'll talk about later because I had some good food on those travels. But yeah, we had something lined up, and then because my wife is pregnant, she is at the whims of morning sickness, uh, which torpedoed our last opportunity to record. But here we are, in September. We'll get this episode out soon. But you're in Berkeley? I am in California. I am in Berkeley. And as I just mentioned offline, it's always fun for your sleepy college town to be the center of the political universe. That's always fun. I'm staying inside today. <laughs> I think you're wise. It's all kicking off on this Sunday yep. in September. So before we get into episode 007, let's talk about episode 006, which is it Sean Bean? I think it is Sean Bean. We should ask Paul. He he, he would let us we know. We should have done Beans. Yeah, Paul Papa Dimitrio, a good friend and listener, is a, a bit of a Bond savant, so I'm sure he'll be on Twitter listening to this, correcting us. Falafel! Falafel got some got, is some nice reactions. I think we uh, introduced a couple of people to it for the very first time. Do you know Joel, who tweeted at us? No, no, I don't. And, and I think... Um... This is amazing. Joel, I'm going to mess up your last name, if, unless, Alex, you have a, a stab at it. Candia? Can, I'm going to go with Candia. Candia, yeah, it looks like that. Um, at Joel Candia at Joel, on Twitter. Yeah, uh, mentioned that he never had Twi- uh, had never had falafel before in his life, um, and he lives in, in Perth, Western Australia, which is the remotest major city in the world, and it's closer to Singapore than it is to its own country capital, capital of Canberra, which is amazing. It is amazing. Um, and he said that he'd never had it before and seeked it out after listening to the podcast and and, and said, uh, after listening to your last episode, I am eating falafel for the first time. Where have you been all my life? And then, and then a photo <laughs> of some great looking falafel. It does look good, doesn't yeah. it? It's got a... It's beautifully printed. I think on the there's a little shot of a plate of hummus on the side there, which is always a good bet. But I like how he says, to your point, Perth may be the most isolated city in the world, but we do have damn good falafel. There you are. Perth, Western Australia has got some solid uh, some solid falafel. But I think I, I had this reaction from a few people offline or directly to me saying they've forgotten about falafel, that it's like this great thing. And like, oh, yeah, I haven't had that in ages. And they actually actively went out and... And sought it, which is which is very satisfying to hear because it's it is a great thing. But we also solved a mystery from our, from our previous episode, yeah. from our our dim sum. Episode. No, no eggplant. No, pardon me, from our eggplant yeah. episode, and it's from our friend uh, Fear Range. I again, I'm not sure if we're pronouncing that right. Uh, and we were wondering about this wonderful thing that uh, he or she had sent us a picture of in Hong Kong, saying next time we were there, we should try this eggplant dish, and we weren't sure what they were. And we've discovered that they are called, the literal translation is, three fried stuffed treasures. 
which <laughs> is a great name. But there's tofu, green pepper, and eggplant, all stuffed with fish paste. And apparently, they're classic Hong Kong street food. If you if you find the curry fish balls, which I see everywhere in Hong Kong, and which are also really good, then you are never far from the three fried stuffed treasures. So I will go out of my way to find these the next time I'm in Hong Kong. Cause they looked amazing. The most beautiful picture. Yeah. And I, I do think that we may need um, a pronunciation guide because I feel like if I... Pronunciation guide? And I, I, was, I thought you were going to say a Hong Kong food field trip. Oh, no, that too. But I feel like if I go out to a vendor in Hong Kong and say, can I get some of your three fried stuffed treasures? I'm going to get slapped. Well, he and or she was able to put... They put the... the Chinese characters in the tweet so that we can go on Google Translate and have it speak to us and so we can learn how to pronounce it. Or in any street food situation, you can just point and you will get whatever your heart desires in most cases. Uh, so it's Sunday night. Before we get into what the best thing you ate, well, since we last recorded, what are you drinking this fine Sunday? I am drinking, um, one of, we've been talking about beer a lot and about how log is sometimes hard to come by in the US. And I always end up going back to my good old-fashioned Sapporo Reserve beer. It is a... Oh, that's some good yeah, stuff. Yeah, it, because it's it's ubiquitous. You can find it in any corner store, or you can find it at Whole Foods next to the sushi for some reason. Um, they put it right there. And it, the, the cans are only like two bucks, and it's really crisp and refreshing, and it's warm out today. It's like 80 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is in Celsius right now, but um, it it's just it hits the spot. It doesn't leave a hoppy flavor in your mouth, and it's 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 nice way to drink beer. That's that's all I gotta say about it. How about you? What are you drinking? It's a good beer. It's a good beer. It's a good beer. It's a beautiful shaped can. Japanese beer is phenomenal. It really is some of the best beer I've ever had in my life, and we only get a smattering of what's available within Japan. Like when I went to Ishigaki, which is part of the Okinawa uh, archipelago uh, and prefecture, they have Orion beer, which again was just outstanding. And actually, if you're a Californian, there is a sushi joint in, what would it be, Pleasanton, California, that had Orion beer in a bottle. I couldn't believe it. I was so happy. So it is available outside. Another one, if you're on the lookout for a great Japanese beer is Asahi Black, which is their dark, their stout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can find uh, that pretty delicious. easily now these days. It's, it's harder to find in England. And there, if you, again, if you live in London in the Clapham area on, it's the road that uh, intersects um, the North Coat, there's a really good Battersea Rise? cocktail bar there. Battersea Rise, thank you. Uh, the, there's a cocktail bar there about three doors up on the left. We're being very specific here. But they local have Local drugs get you local work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I figure a lot of our friends are listening to this and they're all in a lot of them are in London. Uh, what was the best thing you ate since we recorded? It's been been a few weeks. I think that one of the things I like thinking back about previous podcasts is a lot of the best things I've been eating have been things I've eaten out, and and that's fine. Like you know, we eat out a lot. We try to explore what's out there. But the best thing I've eaten since we last recorded was actually this weekend, and I made a shrimp and lobster pasta with um, it was a butter, chili, and parmesan sauce. And that just, I, we, I try not to eat too much pasta, but like my wife was like, oh, we've had too much like meat and veg because the grilling season and it's coming to an end. So let's just try something else and threw this, this recipe together and just huge shrimp, a nice bit of lobster tail. And it was just added pounds, took years off my life. That's what good, that's a sign of good food yeah. though. How about yourself? Uh, since we have last recorded, I have been doing a lot of traveling. I've been to Rome and we had good food there. 
we filmed an episode of Attaché, which has just just come out today. Uh, I had incredible. Uh, I don't even know how to correctly pronounce it. It's so good, but it's the it's the classic Roman pasta of cacio e pepe, which is basically pasta with uh, cheese and black mm-hmm. pepper, and yeah. that's it. But it was cooked perfectly. We had amazing tiramisu. I think that changed Greg's life. I went to St. Petersburg and had Russian food, which was mixed, yeah. to say the least. Yeah, <laughs> We went to a Soviet restaurant. It's a recreation of a Soviet home in the 1960s and ate all this, this, this Soviet food. There were four soups, borscht being one of them. All four soups were life-changingly good. They were just incredible. They, I'm a little done with smoked fish. And pickled stuff. Pickles were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had stroganoff in the building in which it was invented, and it was glorious. Uh, I had some of the best bone marrow I've ever had in my life. We had this one classic Soviet dish called herring under fur, which was smoked herring, uh, hard-boiled egg, beetroot, mayonnaise, and cheese. That just... It sounds like the the Russian plowmans. Yeah, and it was in like a disc shape, kind of each layer on top of layer using one of those rings. Oh, that, yeah. That, uh, it was it was okay. I, I'd probably be ready to have it again in a couple of years. But yeah, that, so that was good. But, and the, I also went to Chicago. My good friend Badford took me to Picode's P-E-Q-U-O-D apostrophe S for deep dish pizza. And I know you're. And it was you're in the 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 haven, the heaven, the my god, you know, home. It was so good of it. I, I've never heard of this place. Uh, I, it's it's an institution. I'm glad Bradford took me there because I would have I would have veered off into some you know chain, which would have been to my yeah, to my amateur deep dish uh, taste would have I'm sure been fine. But this was uh, local pizza for local people and nothing for you here. <laughs> but it was it was amazing. It was amazing. I also, uh, while I was in Chicago, went to Ditka's. For those who don't know, the that is uh, named after a very famous American football player um, who has had football coach. football coach. Sorry, who's had um, cameos in a couple Will Ferrell movies, I believe. Yes, and he was also the Chicago Bears head coach during the glorious, glorious eighties. Uh, and the protagonist, I suppose, or unseen protagonist in some of the best Saturday Night Live sketches of all time. And Dickens was fine. It was really good. I think I sent you a picture of the burger yeah. I had. Yeah. Uh, and it was good. But yeah, the, the the Chicago deep dish, it was like, it was not optional. But I've eaten well. I've eaten well like the last three or four weeks all over the world. I'm going to Vegas tomorrow and I don't have time to eat. I'm there for 14 hours, but I'm going to try and grab some in and out on my way through. That's, you know, <laughs> Vegas is one of those places. There's nothing institutionally, you know, specific about, about Vegas for food. Um, but some of the best food is in Vegas just by the... In yeah, Vegas, yeah. And, and people give it a hard time. But yeah, there are world-class restaurants there. Um, but sadly, you won't be having time to eat there. No, it's all right, though. I'm, I'm at peace with that. I didn't talk about what I'm drinking. I'm drinking a red wine, which is a Bonneg from... Uh, the winery across the street from my dad's house. And it's, <laughs> I was just down there. <laughs> Something terrible's happened in Will's house. Are you I don't know. I didn't do anything, but everything just fell off the walls. <laughs> Give me a sec. I think you had an earthquake. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. All right. I think we're okay. Uh, okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm back. <laughs> I think you had it. I think you had an earthquake. That's exciting. Uh, as long as everybody's Okay. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's, our dad lives in the south of France in a, in a Languedoc region. And this is, uh, my other brother and I always go to this place and do a speed wine tasting. 
and I grabbed this as I always do, and it's it's fantastic. So I'm I'm really enjoying it. But speaking of alcohol and earthquakes, we are going a little bit off piste in this episode because yes, we are a food podcast, but what goes better with food than drink? And so for our glorious guh episode, we are going with well, we are going with gin, and gin. I think that we need to start with the Simpsons pop culture reference of. Here's to alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Just it's a motto for every drinker. It's it's also very true. And I will put out a teaser a couple of weeks ago for what this episode might be about. And people people guessed uh, pretty quickly what it was, and they were very very excited. So it was nice to see that our friend Valerie Gibson, I think, said OMG gin. Well, <laughs> someone actually thought it was going to be glitter, so I'm not too sure. Glitter, I like that. <laughs> our friend Graham Kingshot, who said uh, glitter, I just thought you were getting your Christmas special in early, which actually it is the season to be filming Christmas specials, especially here in the UK. Uh, a Paul Papadimitri said glycerol trinate or honey G. <laughs> <laughs> hey yeah both yeah, are fine no, I'm, I'm... Uh, Will, Will um, Greg thought it was Greg yes. uh, because he's transparent and conjures tree memories yes, he is delicious though um, yeah <laughs> and he, yeah so there we are it's All gin, right. and that's why the 007 reference was so yeah. funny because it works on so many levels and we're so stupid for not having figured it out I'd like to say that we'd absolutely planned our 007 episode to also be gin uh, and that's just categorically not the case but why did we pick gin I think it's just one of those alcohols and it's one of those uh, spirits that is so ubiquitous in everyone's bars and everyone's you know drinking repertoire uh, repertoire sorry um, but no one really gives it a, a thought and if you ask if you pressed somebody to explain what it is describe what it is, a lot of people hit a wall real, real fast. And so that's something that, like, you know, it always is interesting to me. It's got such a, you know, a storied history above, you know, what the alcohol itself and what comes around it and its place in history as well. Um, and so that's kind of what I was feeling is that it, it, it just needed its own episode. So, and it's very, it's very, very popular. Yes, everywhere. That's the big thing. It's popular. Everywhere, it's not like bitter beer is is popular in England and tequila is famous for you know drinking it in Mexico it, it, and red wine and so on and so forth. It is popular almost every country that that does cocktails. It's very popular among my wife's friends and my wife's friends and my wife and my yeah there yeah. you are. Um, so, but, but basically, what I wanted to do was jump into sort of giving an, a background on. On, on alcohol, alcoholic beverage to begin with, and we can dive into a little bit more about about gin itself. So there are two ways that you can make alcohol. I mean, there are there are a number of different ways, but these are the two big boys of, of the space. So if you make alcohol using grain uh, and you ferment it, you make a beer. And if you make alcohol with a fruit juice and ferment it, you make a wine. And so then you have this like fork in the road. What happens next with each one of these arms defines what kind of alcohol family you go into, basically. So if we look at the fruit juice, the wine, you distill that even further, you get stuff like fortified wines, port, vermouth, brandy, cognac, you know, which is very strong flavors, but is polar opposite to your vodkas, your rum, and your gin and your whiskey. And those are created when you take a beer 
and you distill it even further and you create spirits such as, you know, the ones I just mentioned. And gin sits on that side of the family tree. Um, and so that's the difference between, you know, the, the two arms of, of, of alcohol. Yes, you have tequila, which is made with something else, but those are the 90% of the alcohol that's made in the world will either be made from uh, fermenting grains or fermenting fruit juice. Uh, so gin is a clear, neutral spirit made from grains and then flavored with juniper. And that's the and that's the that's the thing that that's basically the only thing, the th- only thread that defines gin, because gin is very uh, in terms of its definition is a not a legal construct like a lot of other alcohols are. And also it's riffed on really, really heavily, but the only kind of tie that binds seems to be that base juniper flavoring. Otherwise, you really just have vodka. Ethanol. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vodka, exactly. It's a, vo- it's basically yeah, vodka. Yeah, but, but vodka can be made with multiple different grains, as you in Russia. We were just in Russia. I'm sure you found out that you can have grain vodka. You can have potato vodka. You know, there's other other grains that you can do it with. And then the adding of that juniper, um, and I think that might be in certain countries some aging or non-aging restrictions, but that's it's just so uh, unrestricted that this is why it is such an interesting concept of an alcohol because it's um, – I forget the term that the French use where it's there's a very specific region that it has to be from or, um, you know, terroir it, that just doesn't exist in in, um, in gin. And so basically, you know, the, the, the core of it is juniper. And juniper, it's a berry. Uh, it's a member of the, the 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 tree is a member of the cypress family. Uh, it's often used in in culinary purposes as a spice. Very very heavy in um, in Scandinavian food. It's a bit like a like a prickly yeah, pea. Yeah. And I'll tell you one thing. You probably are a little bit too young to remember this. It makes phenomenal slingshot ammunition. No, I, uh, really? Where was there? Cypress? Yeah, we had a juniper bush in our one of our when we lived in California as kids, and uh, the the berry, the juniper berries were very, very good projectiles. Yeah, I hope your your sons don't hear this uh, and that they stumble upon uh, some juniper. Oh, uh, knowing or knowing one of your sons, he'll just probably start a his own distillery and start making really good Jack's <laughs> yeah. gin. Yeah. <laughs> Jack's yes. gin, exactly. But, so the the word gin itself, um, it's connected to that word juniper, and so uh, there is some contention on this. But the etymology, basically, most people say it comes from the older English word uh, genevier, which is related to the French word. Um, and I, I'm going to butcher my uh, my accents here, genevier, and the Dutch word uh, genever. Um, I, I I apologize again to my Dutch friends, but it all comes from the Latin word juniperus, um, as most English and Romance languages do, they all have the root word there. So the word juniperus has been sort of broken down and bastardized into the word gin, uh, and that. So yeah, you see, you can see where the 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 root of this of the word for the for the drink is, and of the of the flavoring, because the way it's made in its its most basic form is you start off with this neutral grain spirit, like Will said, which is essentially pure ethanol. But the flavors are then added uh, through redistillation. And the simplest way of doing that is when you put it in one of those gigantic stills, which is just a, a huge copper pot, essentially, and you put in the botanicals. So it's a lot like making perfume. There's a lot of parallels with the perfume making process. Um, so you you put it in a in a pot still with juniper, which is kind of non-negotiable, and then whatever flavoring and botanicals you want, you steep those while it's being heat heated for about two days, 
Although some people just take it out immediately, just give it a stir and take it out after after to do that. And then you have what basically concentrated gin, which I'm sure sounds very good to some people, but probably make you blind. <laughs> so they add water to reduce that distillate down to stuff that is not going to kill you and is actually nice nice to drink. That that's like that's how bee feeder is made. They add a few other things. They add things like um, like uh, lemon peels and oranges, the, the, and then a bunch of other stuff. And they do it for a day. So there's there's a lot of of ways of of, of doing it. So that that that's if, you know we can set aside the definition of that's how that's what it is. That's the 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 base construct of gin, and that's how it's made. But I was doing a lot of reading about gin because it's not something I know a whole lot about. And I assumed that it was the most British drink ever made by anyone ever. So the Brits would lead you to believe. Yeah. I mean, I never even thought it was up for contention. I thought it was one of those things that just sort of, when they were conquering the world, you would sort of literally sweat gin. But while this is hotly debated, I think mainly by the Brits, the evidence in the history suggests overwhelmingly that gin is categorically not a British invention in its earliest or, frankly, most recent forms. It's Dutch. I dare say somebody in Windsor just dropped their pipe. Yes, and their monocle at the same time. And I can see how one can claim one to the other, It's which you'll see what I mean in a second. But apparently the the English, or the, actually the, yeah, it was the English back then, discovered gin when they were fighting in the Thirty Years' War in Holland. This was in the 17th century, and they saw Dutch soldiers drinking Genevieve, which is their word for it, to essentially boost morale, g themselves up before they inevitably went to the slaughter at the hands of their foes, which is where the term Dutch courage comes mm -hmm. from. I find that a little bit too easy in terms of a, a story, but it's a nice one, so we're going to stick with it. Uh, and then the English brought the idea of making this stuff and bringing it over, but it would take another century and a half before we made our own version of the stuff. So that 150 years kind of seals the deal as you may, you know, the Brits may have, have not have not invented it, but they sure as hell seem to have perfected it. But actually, you found that, yes, the Dutch had sort of turned it into something that's fun to drink, but it had a history long before the, six, the 17th century in Dutch life as something a little bit more um, curative. Yeah, and I guess that's, that's kind of a, a running theme with a lot of alcohol is that um, a lot of it was used as uh, as medicine. But basically, there's records showing back until the 12th or well, the 13th century that juniper-based uh, juniper health-related tonics, you know, uh, were just rampant in, in Holland and in, in, in the Dutch, um, you know, medical fields. So yeah, the me the medicinal application started before the recreational, if you will, application. But the weird thing is, and you're right, because a bunch of a bunch of alcohol did start as kind of medicinal purchases, probably um, completely inaccurately. But gin has maintained both recreational and medicinal applications even today sure like through the through the dawn of time the royal navy mixed gin with uh lime cordial to stop scurvy and uh angus the angostura settled the stomach tonic water with quinine is still given for anti-malarial purposes uh, and that's just a great reason to drink g and t's which we'll talk to we'll come to in a second so 
It's really like basically the miracle alcohol. Yeah, no, it really is. And then I guess you touched upon it a little bit there that, you know, the most common way that people these days drink gin and ton- drink, drink gin is in tonic, uh, with tonic, sorry. Um, and tonic water has been around for a long time and was a way for people to be able to palatably take and, Correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't know the official uh, pronunciation. So many people say quinine. So many people say quinine. Uh, you're saying something in the middle. I, I everyone knows what it is. It's uh, quinine. quinine. Yeah, I think it's quinine. And I and I I glossed over it, but the the angostura, which is bitters, yep. is also a base component of a lot of gin cocktails. But well, we'll come on to that in a little bit. And that that actually. Um, it's like ginger. It can be good for motion sickness. And again, I think, you know, it's easy to look at these and say, oh, you know, that's just an excuse to drink these drinks, but they are medicinally proven as not the most effective, but certainly effective. The the various things are supposed to cure. All right. So we've talked about what gin is, how you make it, at least in its purest form, who contentiously discovered it. Although I think we've kind of put that one to bed, like nine out of 10 articles that I read say it was the Dutch, but the British perfected it and then uh, weaponized it, if you will. We've talked about its medicinal purposes, but how do you actually consume gin? And I think this is the bit that it's important to everybody is how you actually drink it. Gin is kind of weird. It's the outlier in the spirit fraternity because it's the one that you don't drink neat. Right, whiskey. Although that's not, yeah, mm-hmm. whiskey, vodka, tequila, uh, tequila. Good ones. You can pour over some ice, and it's it's really good. Gin, you just don't need that. You need to unlock its awesomeness in a cocktail form. I really feel like I'm certainly out of my depth. I'm not a big cocktail expert, but you went to go see a guy who is. <laughs> So uh, we thought we'd have a guest on uh, for one of our first alcohol-related episodes of Mastication Nation. So I'm here in San Francisco at Redford with my good friend Keith, who is the bartender here, uh, amongst a couple other places within San Francisco. Keith, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. Awesome. So like I mentioned, we're doing gin this week. And uh, as you professionally give out gin to people on a daily basis, I thought who better to talk to than you? Uh, so first off, do you like gin? I love gin. It's actually my uh, favorite liquor um, to not only drink, but also to make cocktails with. So, so why, why is that? Like, it seems to be one of those alcohols that is on every bar around the world, regardless of where you are, you'll always find a variation on some kind of gin. Why is it so ubiquitous? Uh, well, for making cocktails, it's one of the best in terms of being able to mix it with other uh, liquors and other flavors and spices, um, but also still be able to have that gin flavor. Um, Which comes it. from the, the, the juniper berries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, among, uh, you know, some other uh, spices. You know, spices and, and... But it goes great with other things, and it, and it has lots of, you know, um, herbs and spices in it. Yeah, yeah, herbs and spices. But the main, obviously, being juniper. But yeah, so in terms of making cocktails, it really, you're able to do a lot of things with gin. You know, you can add juices to it like lemon and lime it's a it's a very versatile i think one of the most versatile um liqueurs you know whiskey can be a little bit strong most people that drink whiskey they want to taste the whiskey they don't uh they want a spirit forward cocktail um people that want a vodka cocktail unless they're drinking a vodka martini generally want something that they don't taste the vodka Mm -hmm. um 
you know, rum is sort of the same same vein as whiskey is that uh, they want to taste the the rum that you like. And spirit forward rum cocktail. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Gin is one of those things that um, it you lets you know you're having alcohol, but is also very floral and interesting at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It it stands alone by itself, but it also is mixed very well with with other um, liquors and juices. So I guess that brings us nicely to our first question, which is, uh, what is your favorite gin cocktail? My favorite gin cocktail is a Negroni. So uh, walk us through that. Where, where does uh, a Negroni come from? I know I'm familiar with it, but don't know much about you know its history. Yeah, a gin uh, Negroni. Oh, sorry, a Negroni. There's only one. I mean, you, there's other variations of it now. You'll see people making um, like mezcal Negronis are really popular right now. And then um, there's a cocktail called a Boulevardier, which is a, basically a Negroni but with uh, whiskey. And I think. Um, for the most part, you're supposed to use rye in it. Okay. But a Negroni is an Italian um, cocktail. It uses a couple of Italian liqueurs, Campari, which is a bitter liqueur, and then um, and then sweet vermouth, which is obviously a, uh, a sweet liqueur. Um, but it originally um, was a drink called an Americano that this guy, uh, this Count, Count Negroni, used to drink. They said the year was 1919. Who knows how they figured it out or who wrote that down. Or, um, But uh, he was drinking Americanos, which was just Campari and Antica with soda water. And I'm very interested to find out how they were making soda water in 1919. Yeah. You know, now we have all the carbonation and the, the um, standalone um, soda water makers. But it would be really interesting to see what, what a bar in 1919 yeah, maybe how they were making soda water. Maybe we'll do a future episode where we talk about historical cocktail making. Yeah, well, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll find out how the, how Count Negroni was getting his soda water. So he just wanted he had this Americana, but wanted something with a bit more zip to it, I guess. Yeah, he, I think he was just having a rough day, and basically he said, "Hey, can I can you make this a little stronger?" And so um, this bartender uh, Fosco Scarcelli was his name. Um, he just basically added gin to it, took out the soda water, added gin to it, and then threw an uh, orange peel on there, which was his way of showing that it was a different drink okay. than the Americano. And it's one of those ones that I, I've seen you make a lot of times, and it, it, it looks one way, but tastes completely different than it looks. And, and you're still going to walk us through how to how to make one, and so we'll, we'll go we'll dive into that in a second. However, you know if you've ever seen a Negroni, uh, it, you know it's this dark brown color, almost looks like uh, bourbon, but uh, in no way does it taste like that. So uh, why don't we jump in and, and you walk us through how to make a Negroni? Yeah, sure. So um, a Negroni is going to be equal parts of the ingredients, like I said, gin being the main, um, and then Campari and uh, sweet vermouth. You can either make it with three quarter ounce of each or one ounce of each. And then if I'm making it for myself at home or making for maybe for one of my friends, I like to actually make it with a little bit more gin because what's a cocktail if you're not, if the spirit isn't the most forward. So um, I like to make it with about one ounce of gin and then three quarter ounce of the Campari and Antica. So right now, uh, and honestly, this is a stirred cocktail. Okay. Um, basically a general rule of thumb for cocktails is if you're working with um, citrus, uh, you're going to want to shake it because you get that nice layer of bubbles at the top that's going to, you know, kind of run over your tongue and taste really, taste really good. But when you're not work- working with any citrus in cocktails, you're going to want to stir it. You don't want to shake 
uh, this type of liqueur without having any citrus in it, it's just not going to have the right effect. Plus, you're going to have all the ice particles and um, things. You, you cool want it, it down to be like nice clear. and clear. Yeah. yeah, you want to cool it down um, just enough to be able to drink it, but you don't want that kind of acidity sometimes that happens with shaking. So I'm just gonna uh, throw in. This is gonna be three quarter of, of sweet sweet vermouth, and then three quarter of Campari into our mixing glass here, and then three quarters gin. And what kind of gin are you using? I'm using Junipero gin. This is a local gin. It's made here in San Francisco. Uh, I really like it. I think it has the right flavor profile for a, for a Negroni, just because it's. Um, Kind of a classic gin. Yeah, I know that, that people will probably t tweet in letting us know that their favorite way to have a Negroni is X or Y with different kinds of gin. And that's the fun stuff about gin is that it does run the gamut as far as yeah, if you want dry it to, be, to floral. Sure, if you want it to be dry, you can use a, you know, a London dry gin. Or if you want it to be floral, you can use a Botanovar. Or if you want it a little bit sweeter, you can use an Old Tom. So I've added our ingredients here to the mixing glass. I'm just going to stir it for a little bit here. And what kind of glasses do you generally serve this in? Uh, this is going to be in a, what they call a tumbler or a double rocks glass. Um, so which is the shorter sort of, you know, shorter uh, glasses that you usually see whiskey served in. So I've uh, mixed the, our ingredients here and stirred it and now I'm going to strain it into our glass. So you're just using the ice to uh, cool it down rather than like it's not a drink that has lots of ice cubes in it. Well with any cocktail you're, you're, you should be removing the ice. There are some cocktails that what they call dirty dump which really you only ever see in like margaritas which they'll actually pour the ice into the glass right. with the cocktail without straining it. Got it. So we have it in our glass here and I like to use a uh, these big cubes, obviously, you know, these are a great addition to the bar world just because it's going to melt slower, slower, yeah. greater surface area. There is this debate uh, between whether or not a Negroni is up or on the rocks. The classic way, at least that I think from what I've read, is that it should be served on the rocks just because I can't imagine the original drink, an Americano, yeah. being up just because it had soda water in it. Right. Um, so you imagine that there was ice. And for those that are that not in cocktail, so then it would would have been would have been on the rocks. For those that don't know, uh, the word up is uh, bartender terminology for with no ice. So yeah, the uh, classic you'll see is uh, people saying a martini up or Manhattan up. Mm -hmm. They'll usually. Though if if the person knows what they want, they'll ask you or they'll they'll call it out. They'll tell you, "Hey, I want a vodka martini or gin martini up." Or and otherwise, you would just default to what you yeah feel exactly. Say like a Manhattan. If you just order a Manhattan, it'll be served up. Got it. Yeah. So how do you finish this, or or are we uh, are we there? Uh, no, the last part is to add orange peel. So we're gonna uh, peel uh, orange here. And then you always want to um, zest with the rind on the outside towards the glass. That's where the citrus is going to come from. Uh, and then give it a little twist here, throw it in the glass, and there you go. All Girl. right. How about it, Will? Thank you very much, sir. So it's almost like I said that it's a color of, uh, can be the color of whiskey when it goes a little darker. Um, obviously, we have a little bit more gin in this one than, than in other kinds of Negronis. 
For those that know what Iron Brew is, it's a Scottish soda that's kind of orange color. Uh, it's almost that level of, uh, of orange, but uh, let's, let's dive in here. So it's got that, that really nice citrusy smell. I know a lot of people hate hearing people eat and drink on podcasts, so I apologize about that. But it's got this very... Trust me, it looks worse than it sounds. Yeah. It, 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 thanks, man. <laughs> uh, it's got, um, you know, it's, it, it's very uh, refreshing, very uh, almost tart uh, on the tongue. Uh, it's one of those drinks that even though it sounds like something that's going to be very intense and complex, it, it's quite nicely balanced. And it's a, it's a drink that I feel that it could be my replacement for a gin and tonic on a hot summer day. Uh, and I think that's kind of why, why you like it. It's got that nice, you know, refreshing flavor to it. Yeah, well, it's traditionally uh, supposed to be drank before you eat. It's an aperitif, so it's has that. It's supposed to kind of cleanse your palate, yeah. kind of um, get it ready to to have dinner, uh, you know, or lunch. Um, but I actually like it after uh, meals too. I I find that after I've eaten a big meal, maybe a lot of pasta or something, yeah, um, that it actually it tastes good, kind of clears the palate after you're done, and then it also you know, it's good on the on the stomach, I think, too. It's not, you know, they have Amaro's, like, Fernet and those that you're supposed to drink after to kind of settle everything. Uh, settle down. everything. And I think that actually kind of has the same effect. At least for me, it is that way. I don't know. Maybe the purists will say that that's, you're not supposed to <laughs> drink an aperitif uh, after. I think there's a, there's a movie with Vince Vaughn. I'd have to look, look it up um, where one of the guy's characters gives him a hard time for drinking a in a morrow before dinner. I think it might have been swingers, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I'd have to look that up. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that's uh, a Negroni, and if you haven't had one, definitely uh, try one so you know what we're talking about. I think you'll be pleasant, pleasantly surprised because I've always been intimidated when seeing one on the menu and not knowing what to expect, but they're they're delicious. Yeah, I think gin in, uh, gin in general, um, you know, everyone has that liquor that they, oh, I don't do tequila, or tequila gave me a bad time. Uh, or you know, I, me and whiskey don't agree, or whatever. Uh, I would say give gin a give gin a chance. There's a lot of good classic gin cocktails um, that any good bar that you go to, you know, you should they should be able to make you a corpse survivor number two, an aviation, a last word. So give gin a chance. So we just uh, talked about your favorite gin cocktail, Negroni. But most people, when they think of gin, they think of a gin and tonic. So I think just for the sake of doing this right and doing gin justice, I think we should walk through how to make a good gin and tonic. Sure. So, uh, Keith, take it away. Sure. I would say with a cocktail that's only has this many ingredients or is sort of this simple to make, and I like to make most of my cocktails this way, is you always want to add the ice last. That is the key. When you pour over, obviously, unless your liquor is sitting in a fridge or a freezer, which it shouldn't, should be sitting at room temperature. Because when you, what happens when you cool down liquor, it gets kind of syrupy. Okay. Um, and a lot of people like to leave their vodkas and things in, in the, the freezer. freezer. And then yep. you, when you go to pour it out, you know, if anyone's ever had it, and I, I don't even want to mention this on this podcast, but <laughs> Fireball. <laughs> Sorry. That's no, all right. No, it's, it's, it is a, it is a uh, what's the word, uh, staple of a, college. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, college. It's, a, it's a necessary evil for bars uh, because you'd be crazy not to be selling it. 
especially in big college towns like San Francisco yeah. where you know your 21 year olds are coming here and want that cinnamon fire but you notice that it's really it's syrupy not only because it's a very sugary um, liquor but it's also usually refrigerated okay so it's it's syrupy so um, we're gonna start with uh, the alcohol first and then add the ice I mean that's something I didn't know so yeah uh, you don't want to pour over you, you don't want to dilute the um, because naturally the ice is gonna dilute the liquor just because it's sitting together and they're at different temperatures but you don't want to uh, dilute it anymore by pouring the pouring the liquor or in this case the gin over the ice before you even um, have started drinking the cocktail got it um, so it's gonna prolong it and that's sort of the uh, the purpose behind these you know the big ice cubes so that the bigger surface area it's not gonna um cool down as fast and become as watery as got it so you 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 go under the principle of even for gin and tonic just one big ice cube um if you have the resources for that Mm -hmm. then it would be great to have big ice cubes for every ice cocktail got it or anything on the rocks but i think the the resources of that and having you you essentially have to have a large freezer and be like pumping out big ice cubes got it all got the it. time all right so we're going to use our tumbler or double rocks glass again same as the negroni we're going to add our gin to the glass and so you're using uh not ice chips but yeah i'm just going to use regular regular ice cubes this time so we're going to add that to the glass okay we here have to have tonic on the gun which is nice yeah we're going to add the tonic to the glass. Uh, I see that you just garnished it with a citrus. What garnish did you use? I used the lime. I prefer lime. Uh, it seems to be that's the people ordering gin and tonics. Default to Also yeah. default to a lime. Yeah, some people ask for lemons, but uh, most of the time, most of the time lime is the, Got is the popular choice. It's just, Will, don't forget to uh, squeeze your... Oh, sorry, I apologize. Lime, or should I, you're British, I should give you a... <laughs> the lemon. A lemon. Oh, a little lemon-lime go, go Sprite on this thing? Yeah, there you um, go. Uh, so thanks again, Keith, for walking us through some of our favorite cocktails uh, that yeah, have star gin. Um, yeah, this was fun. So where can people find you in the city of San Francisco? Uh, sure, the two places that I work at now are uh, Redford, uh, which is where we're at now, um, and then also Rambler, which is in San Francisco, the Union Square area as well, which was actually Wolfgang Puck's original San Francisco restaurant called Postrio. Nice. Uh, and we kept his wood fire oven uh, and they use it every night to make pizza. Awesome. So a awesome. little bit of history there first. So come by and see me. I'm behind the bar five nights a week. Um, so you got a good shot of, shot of catching me and I'd be happy to make you a Negroni or any other gin cocktail or whatever you whatever you like just uh, look for the guy with the beards and the and the sleeve tattoos and you won't miss Keith <laughs> that's, uh, again in San Francisco you that's walk into any of you just <laughs> described every every bartender. bartender in the whole of San Francisco yeah, so unfortunately yeah you could they co-opted your yeah, look you could get pretty drunk uh, <laughs> trying to find me if you're drinking from every bartender that has a uh, tattoos and a beard all right well uh, you can find Keith on Instagram at at the, at the KBL uh, you can follow Redford at at Redford SF and Rambler at Rambler underscore SF. So go check it out and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Well, now we know. Now you know. Now you know how to make a cocktail, how not to make Mm -hmm. a cocktail. That was pretty important. Where to find a guy who can make a great cocktail. So everybody go out and, and enjoy a cocktail. That was really interesting to me. 
I'm, I learned a lot from our friend Keith. Uh, thank you to Keith for doing that. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's nice to have someone who knows what they're talking about on this show from time to time. I've, I don't know. Uh, I, I found a few other little bits and pieces about gin that made me smile that didn't fit gracefully or elegantly into the other areas of our, uh, of our show structure. But I'll ask you this. What country do you think drinks the most gin? If you guess this, I will know that you have I'm cheated. I'm going to go with um, our Iberian cousins in Spain. That's a very good guess because the Spanish do love a G&T. Yeah, and, my, and our dad was telling us about a G&T that he thinks is the best in the world, which is uh, not with a citrus, as we uh, found out that... Not with, sorry, lemon or lime, which is the standard, as we talked about uh, with Keith, but actually with uh, grapefruit, uh, pink grapefruit, and it's it's delicious. That yes. does sound good. That does sound good. Oh, yes, I heard about this legendary. Oh, yeah. I didn't know it had Spanish origins. That's interesting. Well, I'll tell you this. You're wrong. So there are 60 million cases of gin, which seems low to me, but 60 million is a lot. 60 million cases of gin sold globally every year. And half of that, half of that is consumed in the Philippines. That seems so strange. I mean, I would love to know why. I mean, is it because of the fact that the Spanish were there? Perhaps, but I, I actually don't know. It's a good question. So they drink 20 new, 22 million cases of, and I know that's not half of 60 million, but let me finish. They drink 22 million cases of Ginebra San Miguel, which is their a domestic gin. Uh, and that's 43% of that of that gin market. And the rest is from, you know, the, the Trident 2 Fray, Tanqueray, Hendrix, um, Bombay Sapphire, all that stuff. And they consume gin at a staggering level. But you're right. Uh, Spain, which are obviously big, big drink, uh, gin and tonic drinkers. And then the US and, of course, the UK, which is at least the spiritual home. I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that. I, if you'd get, given me 55 days to guess, I'd never, well, I maybe would have got there eventually, mm-hmm. but I was just really impressed with that. I, that is, I would, n- I, again, I would never have thought that as well. I was almost thinking in the back of my head, China for some reason, but um, they like their Chinese whiskey. Oh, that, that would have been a good guess. Yeah. That would have been a good guess, but no, it is, it is the Philippines. I, I just couldn't believe That's that. Okay. Do you like gin? I think we, pro- I should have asked you this at the top I of the loved- episode. Do you like gin things? I love gin things. I love gin and tonics. I find it is, it's one of the best ways to have a cocktail without really thinking you're having a cocktail because it's so simple, but so refreshing. I, I do think that gin works in a lot of cocktails as well. Um, but to tag up on 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 one of its, I would say, its most common, um, what's what I'm looking for, uh, thing that's served with it. That's a terrible term. You know, the, 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 the tonic water... We talked about the medicinal part purposes of gin, but the tonic water itself, you know, the reason that England was able to, and Britain was able to have the empire that it was able to have, was directly responsible, uh, uh, you know, linked back to the tonic water. Um, it, it's, it has been shown to still be, to this day, effective against malaria. And as, Amer- as, as Britain was exploring the world and, and, and colonizing the entire subcontinent and Africa as well, this was more effective at... at um, at stopping malaria than anything else that uh, the British had in their pockets. I mean, there's a great quote by Winston Churchill that said, the gin and tonic has saved more Englishmen's lives and minds than all the doctors in the empire. And our father lived in South Africa for the longest time, and I swear he drank more gin and tonics than actual malaria tablets and never got malaria. That's very true. 
That's very true. I think I like Jin. I like Jin's provenance. I like its story. I like its. I don't even know what the word is. I, there's there's something about its station in culture, both modern and ancient. That is, it's rather nice. It's elegant. It's interesting. Do you have a favorite application of Jin? Um, it's it's interesting. The I, I literally bought a new bottle of, of gin last weekend what was from it? Prohibition Spirits in um, in Santa Rosa. They had a cucumber and juniper gin, and it's fantastic. Perfect for gin and tonics. Not the best for something a little darker or, or more complex because you're going to lose that freshness of the cucumber. But anything that you want it to be light and airy and fresh and fresh and crisp, this stuff is fantastic. I do love Negronis, as you heard, but I, I, I do – for some reason, it's just the gin and tonic for me is perfection and simplicity. Then that's what I, yeah. the way I look at it. And that's a, that's a really important point, I think, as we as you draw to a close here, is that – you can't say I don't like gin because all gins have different mm-hmm. flavors. They're just at the very base level, like some of them uh, have like three or four botanical infusions on top of Jupiter, Jupiter, Juniper. The, then they range from different flavors, like Hendrix is cucumber and rose. Aviation is lavender. Aviation. Bombay Sapphire is is uh, is black pepper and lemongrass. So. You may have tried a gin and not particularly liked the black pepper and lemongrass, but try another one in a gin and tonic because that's that's like the great leveler. You can you can you can taste the botanicals and perfumes before you. So don't dismiss gin outright. But I love this this little nugget as well that there are more classic and then, you know that's a quote unquote classic cocktails made with gin than with any other spirit, which speaks to the versatility that you were talking about just yeah. a second ago. And so I. Or the base so, uh, elegance. So, two last things I want to, want to touch on. Are you a because it does run the gamut? The only spectrum that you can really put on gin is is dry to botanical, dry to floral, and your your British style, your Plymouth, and that's the only one that has. And I'm I, I'm kicking myself that I can't remember it. The the geographic you can only call it a Plymouth Plymouth um, gin, and that means something if it comes from Plymouth, England. It usually means it's a drier, um, you know, strip the paint off the back of the of your mouth kind of. Um, yeah, so Lon- London Dry is a type, not a geographical right. well, indication. Well, Plymouth Gin is, and it has to come from Plymouth, England. Is, and there's only 13 Whilst, of those. You know, that is, that is your, your quintessential British gin styles, all the way through to what has become very popular now, and especially in England, because in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of law changes around small batches for gin, and so you've got some really interesting guys coming out of um, out of England. In fact, one of my old high school uh, friends uh, is now the head a mixologist cocktail person at, at one of the big London hotels and he specializes in a gin program and he's doing stuff with some amazing small uh, batches and I'll have to try and remember her, uh, the exact hotel but it's um, and that's more on the floral side and that's that's the newer side so do you have a preference on which side you like or are you open to all um, you know I I started gin my journey. gin journey there you are great minds with Bombay Sapphire and I moved to Hendrix but I like I like trying them all. No, I, there's nothing that I that I will that I will shy away from, and I do like a gin and tonic. I do like to just um, have it in its purest form. But I also like many of the gin based mm-hmm. cocktails, uh, which you, one all often forgets are gin based. So Singapore Sling, 
once I, yeah, I feel weird if I don't have a Singapore sing sling when I'm in Singapore, uh, a Tom Collins, white ladies, obviously like Negronis, like you say, gimlets, uh, which are a gin because it's, it's, sometimes people say vodka gimlet Well, a gimlet is a gin based cocktail. So there's, there's loads, but I think my favorite is probably a, I think probably the Negroni as well, other than, like I said, a straight. Well, I think G&T. that, like, this is my my, my other last point was um, I think that they, you guys, you and Paul over at Layovers need to make the official cocktail of the Layovers podcast. Oh, that's a the good aviation. And, and, and the so aviation. the aviation is, is, it's gin. I assume you use aviation. Well, you, yes, but the aviation actually is a cocktail itself. Um, and it's made with uh, gin, maraschino liqueur, creme de violet so liquor made from distilling violets uh and and um and served straight up in a cocktail in a chill cocktail glass um and it has the color of like a wispy blue sky hence the name and it's just like so perfect for what you guys are doing and it's wonderful well amazing there we are the gauntlet has been thrown down we now have an official for your other podcast (laughs) for my other podcast but now we have to exactly. Have I think I, we're, we're sort of leaning towards the way of like, and uh, you're always drinking wine, and I'm always drinking beer. But yes, we have to have one that we can both agree on, and uh, maybe we'll have Keith to come back and design one specifically for us. Yes, he has no choice now. <laughs> this is what has to happen. Well, I I think our double O seven episode, and I you know I still again cannot believe that we missed that. And of course, martinis are not a gin based uh, cocktail, so it's funny, but not that funny. I think this was a nice little departure from our normal food-based routines because – and I think I, it gives us license to stray in other directions, doesn't it? Unless people revolt and tell us, no, 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 don't do it again. But if you have suggestions as we wrap up this episode for H, I, or J, we will be recording those soon and we love to hear your thoughts on this episode. If you have 10 seconds, please leave us a review on iTunes. There are so many crappy – food podcasts out there and and we just want to be part of that club so if you (laughs) so if you can leave us a few words that would be much much appreciated if you have any suggestions if you want to come on the show and talk about your favorite food why the heck not we want to know more find us on twitter twitter uh at mastication ntn hit us up uh will do you have any exciting food adventures coming up other than um yeah and that's an interesting one because it's pack in pack out so that's fun Oh, so pooping in the <laughs> Well, in the we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. We're taking the dog with us. Um, so that could be interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dog. This isn't the road. So we'll, I'm not sure. We'll do some grilling then, uh, I'm sure. Um, my travel schedule is a little interesting over the next couple of weeks, so we'll see where the wind blows me. But besides that, nothing that I can think of. I'm sure you're going to blow me away with the amount of interesting places you're going to be going and eating. No, airplane food. It's airplane food for me. Uh, we are shooting an episode of Attaché next month, too. I'm not going to tell you where either of them are, because we don't do that. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to having some good food. But until then, everybody, enjoy Ooh. your... And your what? Yeah, Negroni? enjoy your gin. That just has a nice ring. Enjoy your gin. Go find Keith. Have a great cocktail. Until next time, enjoy. Enjoy.